Hey, everybody, Jacob here from the Formula Drift podcast. We have an awesome deal for you. So if you head over to shopfd.com and use coupon code podcast23, you're going to save 20% on any merch. So anything you can find on that website, use podcast23 at shopfd.com. Save yourself 20%. Hats, shirts, lanyards, whatever. Just use the code. Save yourself some money. So why not? You know, don't don't stop listening. Wait till the show's done. But then head over, shopfd.com, use podcast 23. We'll see you guys out there. All right, everybody. We are back here with the official Formula Drift podcast. Uh, this week, today, right now, I have the fortunate... Uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just fortunate to have a fellow Canadian on. I'm not going to lie. It's like my favorite part of this is like, we, we get to geek out a little bit over being Canadian, which is, you know, in itself is just something to talk about. I, I don't know about you. Do you like, do you find that as soon as people find out you're Canadian, you start getting a bunch of questions and like that becomes the icebreaker with people? That becomes my identity. That becomes who I am and all they want to know about. Yeah, that generally is how it goes. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy how quick it happens though. Like you start talking to somebody and they're like, oh, you're Canadian? And then it's like, well, I heard this and I heard that. And it's like, look, I'm not here to get into like all of the <laughs> politics about everything. Um, I'm just, I just happen to live in this place. So yeah, generally it comes down to, oh, your accent, it doesn't sound Canadian. And can you speak French? And, um, you know, what part of Canada? And oh, do you know, you know, Bob, he lives in Newfoundland or something like that? Always. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have to it's remind okay, them that like Canada is bigger than the United States when it comes to landmass, like not pe- yeah. not population, but definitely landmass. Sure. So, yeah. uh, but it's you're, okay though. It's not, not a bad thing to be Canada known for. Anymore. No, I'm not. I'm down in San no. Diego now. How, how? I mean, other than missing snow, how have you enjoyed the transition? Yeah, I don't miss snow at all, but it's great down here. The weather's amazing. The view, the scenery, the proximity to all of the best Mexican food restaurants in the country. I, I can't complain. Yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, that is definitely a massive, massive bonus. It's ho- so hard to find good Mexican food in Canada. I found a couple of spots. There's a few <laughs> hidden gems, uh, but not many. And it's also very difficult to find that kind of weather. Although we get like, what, like two weeks of it a year, and then that's about it. Yeah. yeah. I'm happy to so, be here and chasing the snow if I feel like being in it. So for now, I'm good in the sunshine. That's that's a solid point. So did you did yeah. you move down just to be closer to work? Is that is that what it is? You're just you're so obsessed with, no. with this. You got, you got uh, yeah, right. I, I got married a couple of years ago and my wife uh, got a job offer in Southern California. So San Diego is one of the areas she works in, and we thought this was a, a perfect spot to live. So we've been here for nice almost a year and a half now. Okay. That's that's pretty sweet. So it's I mean, I guess you're a little bit of a hike to the to the head office, but you're definitely closer than where you were before. Yeah, and everything for me, I don't work in the office ever. So for me, it's proximity to an airport that matters. And I'm, you know, less than 10 minutes from San Diego airport. And uh, that's all I need, really. Do, do you have the same in uh, a couple of years ago, we had a talk about travel stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember you breaking down your schedule at that point. Are you, like, is this year similar to, to that year? Are you doing... FD Japan, are you doing any other outside of like the normal eight rounds this year? Nope. I'm still grounded in the U.S., unfortunately, because of my uh, immigration status. So um, at the moment, I'm not allowed to leave the U.S. And I haven't been able to leave the U.S. It has to be over a year and a half now. I haven't been allowed to leave. So I've been stuck. It's not a bad country to be stuck in, in terms of size and, you know, variety of scenery and, you know, different things you can do in this country. So 
it's not like I've been stuck in San Diego, but even if I was, I can't complain. But yeah, I've been stuck down here. So no international travel yet. Gotcha. Is that, do you, so this is something that has come up a lot is like when you were traveling a lot more, like the discussion always somehow led to drifting. Like, Mm -hmm. did you find that kind of stuff was super beneficial to to doing it? Just like consistently being around like-minded people talking about it? Because we we had talked, you and I have talked like off of this, obviously, about how that hive mind of 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 people talking about drifting can change and and develop into what becomes rules and regulations and judging techniques and all that stuff. Yes, the experience that you gain over the years of being in different countries, different championships, being around different judges, you know, different countries that I've worked with. It, it sort of broadens your mind a little bit and it gives you different perspectives, um, not only dealing with in, in person, but just for instance, we had a call with the FIA last week planning regulations going forward in 2023. And we had people from Ireland, Czech, Georgia, France, uh, where else? A bunch of different countries all around Europe, plus me. And yeah. <laughs> just listening to all the input that they that they have, the different ideas, the different directions they're taking, the different problems they're having. And sometimes it's not you gaining perspective, but giving perspective as well. Um, mm. Different issues they're having in Europe. FD has already been through those issues. So they would ask, you know, Ryan, what, what did you guys do in FD? What kind of experience do you have that can that can help shape what we're going through right now? So it's, I guess this wouldn't be possible without the level of technology we have now, the level of communication. It's so easy to get on a conference call with 12, 15 people from all around the world, and you can get a great idea of what type of progress different cultures are making, you know, with the sport, whether it be regulations wise, safety wise, just overall judging what, you know, what the, what the feeling is around the world, because we all, of all the different rates, FD is, you know, arguably on the forefront of what's going on, depending on who you talk to between <laughs> Driftmasters and FD, you know, probably kind of leading the charge in terms of what type of judging regulations we're, we're putting in place that are more driver focused as opposed to some other countries where it's still a little more regulated and um, maybe fan-focused, or maybe they haven't even thought mm-hmm. of the fan-focused versus driver-focused. So, yeah, getting that insight is great because it brings up things that you hadn't thought of or you can help other people with things they hadn't thought of or which maybe something that they're having a, a problem with at the moment. So I think we all work together more than people believe or think. You know, there are, there are some <laughs> negative people online that may that, that no. may go online and say, you know, there's... One one series is better than the other. One should talk to the other. One should communicate more with another. Whatever it may be, that's happening all the time. And you know whether or not people take advice or whether or not people are are saying you know Group A should take advice from Group B. Well, maybe the advice Group B is giving Group A. Group A has already tried and it hasn't worked, and we they've already moved on from that. So I guess it's the this type of communication that we're having right now, you and I, that can yeah. that can give more insight, I guess, into, into what's going on internationally with drifting, because you can talk to people all over the world. They can give their insight. I can give mine. And then I can tell you how I've communicated with those people as well. 
to kind of, I don't know if corroborating a story is the right way to say it, but, but just to really show the interconnectivity between all the different series and judges. And, you know, I, I talk personally with a lot of judges from, from Europe and Asia via text, you know, via WhatsApp. We go, we go through different things. They ask questions, I ask questions, and we're sort of always helping one another to evolve in that way. That's a long answer, but I hope it <laughs> gives no, you a good. good insight. It's, it's funny, like just touching on that point, because you get a lot of people that love drifting because of how different it is and because of how different cars and different cultures all can provide a unique perspective on the same thing. But then you, you often will hear the same, the complaints from the same people where they're like, oh, you should be more like this. And it's like, well, aren't we here to have a separation and to provide a different show? Like there, there, there are things that other series provide that are incredible, but there's also parts of it too, where I watch it and I go, that's, I don't, why would you do it that way? Like, I'm not mm-hmm. a fan of that, but that, that discourse is why a lot of us enjoy it. Like nothing to take away from Formula One, but that has become, I mean, actually I think indie is probably a better representation. It's become so homologated that it's lost, at least in my opinion, this is where we're going to open up this spicy chat, mm-hmm. but like that it's lost a lot of its soul because of how homologated and how much it's tried to become so much it, within itself. Like it's, it's regulating itself to a point where it's not as exciting. It's trying to make everybody happy that in doing so it's made no one happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know there's indie fans out there, uh, but that's, sure. that's something that I think formula drift or drifting in general has kind of struggled with. Even when we look at something like prospect where we see, regulations come in that people are maybe upset about because it's homologating things into a certain direction. But then at the same time, those people are saying, oh, you should be more like this. And it's like, well, which one do you want? Do you want to be completely unique or do you want to be like everything else? And if not, where do you draw that line of, of yeah. being unique? What's interesting about the different series around the world that I guess being there gives you a little more insight into it, but it's still something you can, you can see on the, on the surface, even from live stream. I'll take Russia, for instance, you know, going to RDS years before, of course, before the yeah. pandemic. The difference in how they run an event. Now, a lot of this is personal, what you prefer about an event. And mm-hmm. I think people tend to forget that. It's like, well, I prefer this. Well, just because you personally prefer that, we have to do everything based on what the general public enjoys, right? Like an I don't know if average is the right, right word, but um, a larger percentage of the that you know the fans enjoy. Mm-hmm. While I was in Russia, if you take FDUS or um, Driftmasters, Driftmasters is an, ex- an excellent example of a series that just flies through their event. They're they're very fast. That's oh, crazy. They don't have. I don't think they have competition timeouts, do they? They um, they, they've minimized a lot of what they do. What the the drivers have as tools to expedite the event, right? You go to Russia and I'll try to give a little insight from the organizer's perspective. But if you go to Russia, the events are very, very long. It is a full day for multiple days. It's pretty much sun up to sundown that you're there. And this is not in any way to talk bad about what they do in Russia because this is what the fans want. This is what the organizer realizes that he should be doing for them. In between each battle, in between even the runs of a battle, it takes minutes between each run. And then between each battle, many, many minutes. And it's 
drawn out and the conversation that's going on between the announcers and they go and interview people. And sometimes I get caught up in, in the perspective of where I'm coming from, right? FD. Mm. And I would say, you know, we'd be up in a, in a skyjack in the middle of the track and we're up there either in the wind and rain or in beating sun or something. And we're like, are we, are we getting going here? What's, what are we waiting for? You know, the battle's been over for 10 minutes. Where's, where's the next set of cars? And they say, no problem. They're coming. Hang on. And at the time, you know, the first time I was there, I was like, what is happening? I have no idea. The fans are in the crowd are in, in the, in the grandstands and there's somebody on a mic that's walking around and screaming and, and getting, I don't know what they're saying, of course, but they're <laughs> screaming and having fun and drinking. And so later after, especially after my first event, I said, what is happening here? Like, what do you got? What's your, what's your goal? What are you doing? And he said, our, our weather here in, in Russia is rough. It, you know, mm -hmm. from November until maybe April, it's freezing cold. There's a lot of snow. It's dark. You know, we don't, have a great winter. So when summer comes, people want to go to an event outside and they want a lot for their money. So if they pay 50 bucks, let's say, to come to an event, they want that event to give them as much entertainment and they want it to fill the entirety of that day. Whereas if you go to a, you know, a Driftmasters event or an FD event, people want quick hits. They want it to be done and over with in a few, you know, few hours max, a couple hours would be even better where they can go in, get all their action packed, top 32, get in their car and leave and go do something else. We yeah. just have a different perspective on what a good event is. And that's the probably the most extreme example I can give you of the differences in cultures when it comes to drifting and what their, what their expectations are. So if you, if, even if you pay for the Russian live stream, you have a whole day event. You're, 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 probably preparing a meal, you've got snacks, yeah. you've got friends over. It's a big event, basically. And yeah, it's a different perspective. I want a lot for my money. I want to fill that three days or whatever it is fully to the, to, you know, to the maximum. Or FD, I want it to be over quickly, concisely, a lot of action and done. So that's a very long-winded answer for no, the no, differences. Do, do you think from a, like specifically from a judging perspective that does that, the amount of time that you have to make a decision, do you think that changes much? Like, were you still making the same, were you still using the same amount of time in, in RDS as you were in FD? Like, you know, you guys, I wouldn't say you guys are constrained to a certain window, but I think there's a certain expectation as a judge to get your decision done within a time frame. Were you still using that same window, even though you were given much more. The, I think in the first place when I got to Russia, yes, I was like trying to be as quick as possible with everything. And then mm -hmm. I realized the other judges, which were more local judges would, would say, give me another replay. Can I see it from drone two? Can I see it from the static drone? Can I see it from camera four? And it would just be drawn out and you get into a different sort of mentality, I guess, in that sense, because you're now you're thinking, Okay, I'm going to watch the live, the live run, but if I miss something, it's not a big deal. I, I'll just catch it on the 12 replays I'll get from, you know, all right. these different angles. And, you know, much to Russia's credit, th that was the first time I had a static drone was in, in Russia. What was that, 2017 oh. or 2018? They had a massive static drone that would just hover over the track. And that's all that drone did. It just, mm. you know, we had a full feed from that drone. And, then we had the, the high-speed drones and all that. So 
you could just watch over and over and over again. Does it give you a better, better result? It's debatable because now you're, you're getting into the weeds, you know, um, with drifting because of what you're watching. I think the fans don't have the, the different tools that you have. The result is going to go counter what they feel because they're not getting everything you're getting. So if you have, you know, 15 different replays with all these different high definition TV feeds and everything. And the fans at home only have three replays from two different cameras. Well, they saw one thing and you're going to see, you know, a very intricate version of what they saw that they maybe didn't catch, didn't see because they weren't given the right tools, the same tools as you. So I think it just has to be consistent. And with FDUS or, you know, FD Japan, wherever else we are judging, it's usually you know, pretty quick. It has to be quick because the show has to flow through, but it's never one of those situations where you got somebody going, you're not getting another replay because we're done. This is the time mm-hmm. you have. Like, it's not like we have a stopwatch or anything like that. Yeah. They try to say, be as quick as you can while making a very confident call, a very fair call, and one that is backed up by the evidence that you've been given. So, um, you know, I think we've just developed into being quick in FDUS. We... You develop your visual acuity. You, de- you develop um, what you're going to capture because you know sort of what to look for. Uh, I went for my, my motorcycle test and license the other day here in the U.S. Unfortunately, I lost it when I moved down here from Canada. So I had to go through right. the whole process again. And the, the, there was a woman running the course, and she said, when I first started this job, I couldn't tell what everybody was doing coming towards me when I had to write the results of what they were doing on a, on a form. And it took me a long time to be able to catch the lean angle, where your body's positioned, how you're weighting the pegs, are your fingers on the clutch, on the, are your, your foot on the brake? But she said, now that I've been doing it for so long, I can see all of that as you come towards me and I can make notes of all of it. And I tried to do what she was doing with other people that were there with me. I couldn't do it because I'm right. not attuned to that. I haven't been doing it long enough. You know, I was there for a day, for eight hours. So you know, in that time, I maybe got two tries at, at making that attempt. And it, it really made me realize doing something for a long time gives you those tools to be really good at something because you, you're you so comfortable in the, in the environment that you know what to look for when other people might not catch any anything that you saw or maybe only a couple of little points. So it's one of those things that you feel when you're doing something, but actually hearing her say it to me and, and show me, it made me realize, hey, that I'm not crazy for thinking that way too about my job. So yeah, it was sort of reinforcement for me. Let's, I mean, that, that brings me to a really good point. It's something I want to talk about later, but I mean, we're here now, so let's just do it. Um, can we break down what happens? Like, like, I mean, I don't want you to like start your whole day. I mean, unless you feel like that has a, an influence on, on how your judging goes. I mean, some people might be like, oh, Ryan didn't get his Wheaties this morning and now he's, you know, being hard on this guy or that guy. But is, so, uh, you know, a run happens. Um, let's say even before a run happens, right? Beginning of top 32, let's say road Atlanta cars are staged at the top of the hill. What happens in that booth for you? Um, and let's go, let's go pre, you know, you announcing with Jared, let's go back to like, just straight in the booth. You know, this is your singular focus. What, what's that process like? It's, I think it's a lot more simple than people may realize. Uh, the three of us are sitting not anymore, but we used to be shoulder to shoulder pretty much. You know, mm-hmm. we'd be sitting together. 
we'd have a couple of screens and we can watch that we can see um, probably on either end. So the person in the middle can watch either screen and the person on either end generally has a screen that they can see really close up. But um, we're generally talking about not drifting or if we're talking about drifting, it has nothing to do with what we're watching at the time as a run starts. So we're just, as anybody knows, when you do something for long enough, you just, you end up being so comfortable in it that you're just talking about, Hey, did you see this movie? They're coworkers. Trailer or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're talking about nonsense and then, um, Pat will say, you know, sending cars or sending car, let's say for qualifying. And okay. uh, then it's like, okay, you focus, you watch the screen. If you, if you can't see like at Long Beach, uh, run up to initiation or road at Lancer, you're looking up the hill, watching the cars come down the hill. And it depends on the, on the judge's style. Some judges will just sit and watch the entirety of the run and then make notes afterwards. You know, we have our okay. judging sheets with, they're very simplistic now compared to what they used to be, especially in qualifying. It's just writing down numbers. So I've got a spreadsheet that I've made that we've kind of modified over the years to get perfected to what we have now with the driver's name. And if you're the line judge, it'll be, let's say, um, inside clip one, outside zone one, outside zone two, over each box. And then you just put a score in. You know you know that outside zone, let's say inside clip one is worth five points. So um, for that little box, you put a four out of five if that's what the driver got. But like I said, either you're watching the entirety of the run. And when you're done, you, you you write down your notes. Personally, I have a scrap piece of paper that I can write on blind. So I'm not looking at the paper. I'm watching the track. So as the driver goes by inside clip one, I write a five. And then I, I keep watching. Driver goes by outside zone one, I write a three. And then outside zone two, a, a four, you know? And I've got this scrap piece that I don't care about. The numbers are kind of all over the place. But once I get through the entirety of the run, I'll transcribe that onto my actual, you know, official scoring sheet, watch the, I'll watch practice, the, sorry, the replay. And if the replay, I catch something that I missed, I'll change one of the scores if it's necessary. But otherwise, if everything looks the way I saw it at first, at first glance, I put them down on that scoring sheet, you know, put in, uh, put in the total and hit it on the, on the iPad. We have an iPad each with our, our inputs. Yeah. So then I'll, I'll input it on there, make sure that what I wrote on my sheet matches what I put in the iPad and submit. And then we start talking about nonsense again <laughs> until the next, uh, until the right next car comes it. up. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so you had mentioned you guys used to be shoulder to shoulder. You guys all completely separated now, like all siloed out. So there's no crosstalk or no, no, we don't uh, separate ourselves the reason I'm saying it's different now is because I'm sitting with Jared now. So the other two right. judges are generally together and I'm, I'm separated from them. So I'm up with Jared. We're not ever close to each other now. Um, generally, we're far enough apart that they can't even hear what I'm saying and I can't hear what they're saying to them, you know, to one another either. Um, you know, in qualifying, I don't, like we don't discuss, it doesn't matter. We're, we're judging three different criteria anyway. But sometimes you'll just say, hey, was that bobble something that you would say is egregious? Is that is that like a, a zero for that for that spe- specific clip? Or is it something you'd give like a minus two? Or, you know, very rarely you just kind of like throw it out there to the guys and they'll say, oh, you know, this or that. Just to get a feeling for if you're on the same page with the two judges on the on the qualifying side of things. But again, they're judging their own criteria. So... You know, me asking uh, Brian for advice online when he's judging uh, angle. It's not like we're right. corroborating or whatever. 
And in reality, even when we're doing tandem, we're not corroborating in that sense either. It's more of like, how did you see that straighten? Is that, is that something that like we should incomplete? And mm. then the other judges will say, hmm, let's watch the replay. And then we'll watch the replay together and we'll discuss. You know, um, we've set a standard in this in the season, right in round in, in round one. And if it's round two or three or five, you can say, you know, at another round, we incompleted a driver for the front wheels going straight for a split second, whereas this one is, you know, two seconds. So okay, this is definitely an incomplete based on the the standard that we've set. So we'll talk about things like that together so that we're on the same page, um, you know, for for one round, but also for the season overall. So it's just like a, a quick status check, you know? And yeah. I'm not going to look at the other judge and say, who, who, did you, who did you choose until after all three decisions are in? Once we know yeah. all three decisions are in and they say, score is coming up, you know, Brian might look at me and go, who'd you choose? And they'll say, just wait, it's coming up, you know, jokingly yeah. or you know, to <laughs> kind of give each other a, a bit of a hard time. But um, we never, ever say, I chose A, did you choose B? Because I'm going to choose B if you chose B. Yeah. It's, we have three pads. You know, if you watch Brian, he's always reducing the the brightness of his screen and angling his screen away. Like, it's like you have homework that you're doing or you're doing a test and you don't want people to see your answer. So it's like we all have our little way of of hiding our screens from one another. Jared's usually right behind us. So I guess it's um, like he tries to like look over, hey, what what did you guys choose? But he can't see anyway because we're so far away from one another. That's at some tracks. Some tracks were yeah. linear. You know, if you go to Seattle, we're all one end as opposed to another end of the of the booth. Sometimes we're in front and behind. Sometimes we're um, two levels behind, up and, and away, kind of like in, um, I guess it would be Long Beach. Long Beach, the yeah. judges are right down in the front row, and Jared and I sit two rows way up. So you can't, like, I know there's a lot of a lot of people that think we, 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 we share results before it come out, or we look at each other's screen, or we're, we're cheating in some way. But I just wish... I'd probably get in trouble for the stupid things that I say up there and swearing and things like that. But it'd be interesting for, for someone to be able to record what's actually said by the three of us up there uh, during an event. And people would say, oh, these guys are idiots because we're just <laughs> typical people that spend way too many hours a day with one another. And we just joke and, you know, mess around and, you know, much to the, <laughs> maybe the dissatisfaction, let's say of the drivers, we, we joke about the drivers. They're, they're always clowning on us. So we're watching them drive. If one of them makes a mistake, yeah. you know, you just have a quick, like, oh, what a, what a donkey or something like that. Um, yeah. And that's just what it is. It's, it's, you know, it's just like you and I, if the mics weren't on right now, the stupid things that we'd be saying to one another, <laughs> joking around. Oh, and it's just like any set of coworkers. It's a relationship that I've had with Brian since 2012. Chris has been there for what, four or five, four years now. So, you know, Ryan, I've been with him since the beginning, Jared, since the beginning uh, of my time there, I mean, since 2011. So over that amount of time, you tend to to have a relationship with people where there is a a level of comfort and jokingness that's there. And I think that people would be surprised that that's all it is. It's just guys joking around, giving each other a hard time and not really caring who wins. We don't care. I don't care who wins. Um, We don't put a lot of emphasis on 
Like, who did you choose? Because I need to be the same as you. Like, that's how many times have we had a split decision? Like, what do you? How do you explain that if we're if we're cheating or like working together? It's, that would be stupid, right? So, I I do wish somebody would split the stats on that because I'd be very interested to see how that how that actually plays out. Like, how often you guys are not in agreement? Um, I've uh, I. One question I, I very, very much wanted to ask, and, and don't, like, don't take this the wrong way by any means, and I, and I know you won't, which is the great part. What, so when it was first announced that you were doing announcing, I, I, I think you and I had this discussion, and, and I proposed a concern that, like, is this, do you feel like you can do as good of a job as a judge also announcing for, for two purposes? One, you're kind of splitting the focus, and, and the argument, obviously, to that is that no, I have to be more in-depth and more focused on what's going on because now I have to be able to verbalize my communication. Um, so there, obviously, I'm giving you an argument back for that. But then the other concern is that Jared is, is very boisterous, very loud. I, some would argue opinionated on driver count. Do you, do you think that plays a factor in, in judging criteria, whether I guess you know it or not? I guess if you don't know it, you can't say that. But I mean, for me, at least as a fan, that, that was concerning to me. And I was like, huh, how does this now affect judging? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head in the beginning. My, I got to stop arguing with myself before I present the question. <laughs> no, but <laughs> my, my judging became easier when I was announcing because I'm just vocalizing what I'm thinking in my head as I'm watching a run. And I, I, <laughs> I don't know if Jared's going to listen to this, um, I, I take I take a slight bit of pleasure when I get to correct Jared if he if he called something wrong and it's not because he's not good at his job and he doesn't know what's going on he's been doing yeah. this longer than anybody it's because he gets so into it and worked up that he might he's miss emotionally something. invested yeah, yeah he might miss something on the live call of that run that I get to watch quietly and just focus on what I'm looking at. And then when I get to watch it the second time, that's when I get to talk and mm. sort of analyze more closely what I'm seeing. So Jared's like, well, it's, this is an amazing run. And then I'm watching it like, oh, I just saw a mistake there. And I saw a little right. well, something there. So in the end, it's me having the pleasure of correcting Jared, right? <laughs> um, well, I think oh, it's Jared, like, actually, favorite- you missed this thing right here. It's- and he goes, oh, yeah, you're right. I did miss that, you know? It is one so, of my favorite quips that you have. I don't even know if you snow it, but you're like, well, Jared, and then you go into <laughs> it and like it's, it's become this unintentional yeah, almost catchphrase. But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think people provide, don't, they just don't have the perspective. I mean, I'd love to have Jared on here to talk about what this like, because I've, I've done a very small amount of announcing, um, but it's incredibly difficult to be able to be on for the length of time that he's on. And then, you know, people, you know, there's flubs, there's things that are said that are silly or yeah. whatever, but you try talking for an entire day in front of you know tens of thousands of people and not say something ridiculous. It's you can't. You just can't or wrong. do it. Or wrong. That is the biggest thing. It's impossible. Yeah. I've done it in Japan with Ryan Sage, where him and I have hosted the entire thing. It is the most tiring thing you can do. You are your brain, you're trying to work constantly at saying something entertaining. Now, luckily in Japan. The fan count is smaller, you know, who's watching online. It's nowhere near what's on FDUS. But you still want to be entertaining. You want to give insightful information. You want to give information that people might not know about the drivers or the track or whatever. You want to be entertaining. 
And that's really, really hard to do at the level that Jared does it. I would never want to do what Jared does for, for an event like, like FD. It's, it's a lot. It's, it's to be entertaining, to be right, to not repeat yourself, to, um, to talk at that level. He's constantly yelling into the microphone and to and, remember everything. And no Do you know ums, that Jared? No, uhs. no, yeah. Jared has no notes when he's doing the driver intros. He just stands there and goes, "That's Travis Reeder. That's Chris Forsberg. That's Von Gitten. That's Matt Field." With yeah. all of their sponsors, what car they're in, what tire they're on, everything. He just and we can't see the cars from where we are close enough to read the sponsor logos on the side of the car. I don't know how he does it, but he remembers all of it off the top of his head. There are some rounds where he can't see because of maybe where we're positioned very well. So he's like, what's the next car? And then, you know, he'll have somebody over by the window and they'll say, oh, it's Matt Field. And you, oh, Matt Field. And, you know, and he doesn't miss a beat. He just keeps it flowing, keeps it rolling. He's got people in his ear. That's the other hard part. You've got production in your ear while you're talking saying, cut to commercial, do this, do that. Don't forget this. You know, that's something that definitely took me some time to get used to, but just trying to watch Jared and how he flows and how he works through it. So he's definitely uh, developed a, a style and a skill that is unique and is very difficult to match. Yeah, it, it truly is incredible um, what he's able to do and how on he can be all the time. And for this many years, like the, yeah. just the, the database of, of information is, is, is insane. And then to think that he's doing this again for, other series in other disciplines with other people and is somehow able to do all of it. Um, yep. It's, it is wild. So I gotta, I gotta get him on. I know I gotta get him on. Um, yes, you do. I, 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 there, I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> like how, how does he train his voice? Like, you know, how did he do anything? Cause his voice has changed over the years too, as he's gotten older. And as somebody yeah. who I wouldn't say like takes pride in my voice, but I, I'm very aware of what my voice sounds like and how it's changed. I'm like, okay, should I be training this thing? Like, should I be doing exercises? What are you doing? How do I get there? Uh, you should get him so, on, ask him some questions. I, I'm definitely going to. Okay. Uh, so you had mentioned you guys working, you know, different parts of judging. How is that decided? Like, do you guys, you know, pull straws? Is it random? Is it you rotate between each event? Um, yeah, like, how do you decide that? We do rotate. So, okay. Up until this year, I've led all the driver briefings and done all the voice work on the on the mic. Yeah. And I don't know who knows this yet, but this is going to be changing for this year. So I will, um, so yeah, so to give you an idea, coming up until now, every round, uh, every season, I would start as the style judge and we would rotate. I would do style and then line and then angle and then go back to style, line, angle throughout the season. And the other two judges would do the same. Like I said, I would lead all the driver briefings and do all that stuff. But starting um, at Long Beach of this year, I'm going to be doing the driver briefing for round one. And then it's going to rotate through Brian and Chris and Robbie Nishida for this season. Right. Ah, so, so not only is Robbie going to be coming in to do driver briefings, he's going to be coming in to do judging as well. So this will be a brand new system for us with four judges this season. And we're going to rotate through three of us will be judges at each round. And one of us will be the driver steward part two, let's say. 
Um, Sean Adriano yep. is going to come back as the main driver steward. And one judge at each round will be working with him to be the driver steward. And that's going to give, I think, a lot of insight to the judges because we've never really dealt with the drivers in that way, you know, taking p- protests and um, dealing with questions from the spotters and let's say the drivers themselves between runs, they'll, or sorry, between battles, they may come up and talk to us or in qualifying. And they can't really get to us during the event, so they'll talk to the driver steward. So that would be Sean's job, part of his job. Right. Now, Sean has taken on another role while being driver steward, and that's the we have a, we had a new system last season. We're actually starting in Utah last year, where we had our our very own replay system with our own massive TV, and Sean became an expert at using this replay system. So. It would have okay. three or four feeds coming in with independent camera outputs. And instead of in previous years, we would just get whatever the live stream was putting together and we'd only get their views and we'd have to rely on them to do replays for us. Sean now has access to all of those feeds. He can mix the, the feeds and he can give us whatever camera that we ask for um, basically instantly based on what he's playing with with this replay system. And we have a TV in front of us that gives us the live stream feed. And then we have a feed from his replay system as well. Plus not only do we have a little TV in front of us for both of those things, but there's a massive TV behind him. So if we really want to get up and walk over to where Sean is, he can use that replay system to give us really, you know, minute my, or second by second play of whatever run we need to see. And we don't have to rely on live stream. And that means that we don't have to rely on, live stream going out to the fans showing the same replay of the same run 32 times in slow motion. I'm sure people at home are getting annoyed right. with that. So yeah. So the, dr- the I like it, but yeah, hey, I get I that some people do, but overall <laughs> it probably slows down the show yeah. because we have to wait for the live stream to put those different views together. Whereas Sean can have it up instantly and he can be showing us um, very intricate things. And what's nice about it is so not to, downplay what the the live stream people do but they're not dr- uh drifting fans they're not drifting enthusiasts they're they work in the truck right. with their replay equipment and they're there to put on a show sean on the other hand is he's competed in formula drift he's been over to ft japan he's uh i've driven with him at ebisu like we've he's a drifting uh I don't even know if enthusiast is the right word. The amount of time, energy, and money this guy has put into doing things on his own, just like any other person in FD that's competed. So not only does he have the knowledge and and the enthusiasm, he has a really good eye for when things happen on the track. Typically, before he was there doing that, we'd have to call on the mic. We'd call the live stream guys and say, okay, we need run one. Um, And then they play the whole run one again. But really, all we wanted was 10 seconds at, you know, just before the finish line or at the finish line or at inside clip two. And then they'd have to, we'd have to try to re- relay that to them. And then they'd have to try to get the, the, the view at the right position for us. And it's kind of hard communication wise with Sean, he watches the run and he goes, ah, I saw a mistake at inside clip two. That's what they're going to want to see. So the run finishes, he hits stop record and he's already backed up to that part of the, the replay. And he's playing it for us before we even ask for it because he knows what it is we're going to be looking for. So he's just made it way more efficient for us up there, um, way more intuitive and just much more smooth in terms of what's happening because we don't have to waste time. 
uh, asking for things and trying to clarify what we're looking for. So Sean is, is an expert at that unit and he's still trying to do driver stewardship as well, which is really hard because if right. a, a spotter comes up and says, I want an answer as to why my driver lost or why this error wasn't seen by the other driver, whatever it may be, or they might have a protest. Sean now has to do that plus the replay uh, system, which is impossible for two people to do. So yeah. having a judge up there as a driver steward at each round, they can go handle the, st- the spotters. The drivers sometimes come up angrier, some angrier than others. You know how that can go. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that can happen a lot. And I've seen Sean be taken away from what we're doing for 30, 45 minutes. And he's trying to pull himself away to come back to what we're doing. And we, we can't afford to have him gone that long anymore because we need right. him on the replay system. But we also need his help with stewardship stuff if something serious arises. So if we have to stop the competition, we'll both work. Let's say I'm the steward that round with him. Um, I'll stop. I'll talk to him and say, what are the steps? What are the procedures? How do we go forward? And then we'll work together to make sure that gets handled in the appropriate manner. So it's going to be a whole new system this year, something brand new. And another layer to all of this is myself, Robbie Nishida, and Ryan Sage are going to share announcing duties alongside Jared DeAnda. So right. I'm trying to remember round one, I think maybe Ryan starts the announcing, like top 32, and then Robbie will do maybe top 16 for that round, and I do qualifying or vice versa, something like that. So yeah. one of us will have a role to play in each different section of the competition but we're going to share it at each round so not i won't have to do announcing from start to finish let's say in long beach so it gives me a break i don't have to announce for the entirety of the event i can go down and and, you know be in the judges area and kind of work with those guys and uh while robbie's announcing let's say or or sage is announcing one of the two Mm. yeah don't get me wrong i love all you guys but i'm incredibly excited to see robbie back um i just as like a Robbie fan. So definitely. Uh, and I'm happy that we found a way to bring Robbie back without breaking <sighs> up the three that are already there. So what yeah. we get is all four of us working together. There's never a problem. There's never an issue having an extra brain, you know, especially one like Robbie's who's been in competitive drifting for so long, who yeah. has judged all over the world, who has driven competitively in different areas around the world as well. So, it's going to be very helpful to have him there, not only as a judge or as a steward, but also like right now we're, you know, we've just finalized all the judging criteria, all the judging regulations going forward for 2023. And he was a part of all of that as well. So it's just so much more helpful to have more people involved that have his level of experience. Yeah. It's, I mean, if anything else, it, it kind of breaks up a bit of the echo chamber as well. Um, it provides somebody who has this experience, who has an incredible wealth of driving experience, multicultural drifting experience, as you said, and then gives that fresh perspective. And I think too, with the rotation of both announcing and judging, it will, I'm hoping like revitalize everybody a little bit, mixes things up a little bit. I mean, I think one of the biggest issues you yourself face is, and I, and I blame this solely on the fact that when they show the judging decision that yours is a Canadian flag and we don't know <laughs> who the other two are. Um, but but a lot of the backlash on judging decisions comes back on you, unfortunately, which I really think is misguided. I mean, anybody who's, anybody who's really going after the judges, um, one, do it yourself, like go and judge a competition and then 
you might have a bit of a leg to stand on. Um, and two, like, understands that th there's more that goes into this than just what you saw in the live stream, as we're more or less alluding to with this, that, like, you guys get camera angles, you get visibility, you get experience and, and intellect that is just not there for the general public. And I'm, and I'm not saying that, like, all of these claims that people say are unfounded. I do think there's human error in, in whatever is human. Um, so do people have rough days? Yeah. Are there calls that I'm sure everybody would like to take back at some point? For sure. Am I going to make you list them? I want to, but I'm not going to. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it, it, it's just, it's one of those, like, it always bugs me. Because it's like, if you want to have discourse about what you think judging should be, you can do that. But like, the moment you start swearing or saying ridiculous stuff, the opinion you're trying to share just goes out the window, at least in my books. So yeah, I, I guess what, and what I, yeah. Well, you can say what on I, the fact that people unfairly, I guess, aim at me when it comes yeah. to dislike. I don't know. I don't want to say the word hate because no, uh, it's not. No, people hate, it's, but um, disapproval. Let's say of what's going on. And I think when when Ryan came up with this plan, Ryan Sage to to have all these roles be shared, he was aiming some of that at me. And what I mean by that is he recognized that I was taking the brunt of the negativity from drivers yeah. and spotters and fans and all of that. There's, you know, part of the reason I'm off of social media is, is just that I'm not on Instagram anymore. I was getting a very um, unhealthy mix of messages from people yeah. that were starting to somehow involve my family. Oh, wow. You know? Cool. Yeah. It, I've never talked about my family really on there or anything, but people were, and it's not the majority, but some people were very, I don't it happened. know. Yeah. At the end of the day, it Thre happened. Threatening is a big word, but still it was it, like, not right. So yeah. I already pulled myself away from that. But Ryan saw that it was still happening and he said, you know what? Maybe we can share the responsibility for all of this stuff. What if multiple judges, uh, you know, announced at the driver briefing? What if multiple people had the job of announcing during the live stream? And what if multiple people were helping Sean with driver steward position? And I'm excited about that aspect of it, that side of it, I think it's going to help a lot for me personally. I think it's going to give the drivers and the spotters and the fans just more insight into what the other judges are thinking as well. You know, maybe Brian and Chris, uh, and to a lesser extent, uh, Robbie, because he hasn't been here in a few years, but that's going to give them more insight into what they're thinking, how they operate. And it's going to give people I guess more than just my stupid face to look at as well. Like, <laughs> it, because it's my opinion going out all the time, it's going to be good to get other people's insight on what is being said behind the scenes, but also what is being yeah. said to the drivers at the briefing, what is um, happening at the events. And I think that's a positive thing. I think it's going to help a lot for everyone. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to help. I, I mean, and, and kind of what I said too, like a bit of a refresh. Like I can't, I can't imagine 
what that's like and then still having to to go to work at the end of the day to go to a job and still want to be there and want to you know move the sport forward and make the correct calls like it's i i applaud you if nothing else just for being able to block that out and and i'm sure some days are are harder than others but like for the most part i i mean you you continue to go through and continue to to do it like a lot a lot of people just would have been like you know what i'm i'm out i'm good thanks like i did it but like you seem to kind of channel that into like okay no i'm going to be more clear i'm going to explain better like i'm going to educate you out of your lack of knowledge so that way you're not angry at me anymore you're angry at you know not even angry but like you if if you're upset about this call it's not because of the decision you know that that you made it's because these are the rules and and at least from my knowledge you are probably the most technical of the other judges i think they've even talked about in the live stream that chris will kind of and i'm not pointing anybody out i want to have chris on as well i want to have everybody on mm-hmm. I have the whole fd staff on um but like chris is is much more at least a gut feeling where i think he's even said it he's like you know what if i'm really not sure it's a one more time whereas i feel like you will you will look into the minutia to be like look at we're not here to give out one more times we're here to make a decision and if i still can't come to that conclusion after digging deep now I'll give it a one more time. So it's yeah, it's different for everybody. It is. It is because there are so many different personalities and ways to approach judging. It it isn't there's no one way to do it. You know, every rule can be interpreted differently. And that that's why like even our our, you know, road laws or just laws in general out in, in everyday life it's everything's open to interpretation and you're trying to be as consistent as possible throughout a season, throughout different rounds, throughout different years as well. And, you know, in terms of drivers being happy with a call or unhappy with a call, you know, Ryan's done some research. He's put out some, I guess, questionnaires, whatever you want to call them to the drivers in between the seasons. And uh, one recent stat, that Ryan has brought up a couple of times is 95 to 98% of drivers are happy with the calls that are being made. And of course that number varies based on the call that you're specifically talking about, but 95 to 98% of the time driver, all the, you know, all the drivers that have been asked say, yes, I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm happy. I understand the call and I agree with the call that was made. Mm -hmm. So if the drivers as a whole are are happy, and what's interesting is sometimes the driver will put on social media, you know, here's the run, and you know, this is a run that happened. I I lost. You know, yeah. they may agree with the call, but they're just trying to get a feel, or maybe get their fan base worked up. Um, and sometimes the drivers will have to calm their their fan base down and say, no, I I made a mistake. It was my fault. But the the fans are, I guess we, we have the people that we like the most, you know, the, a driver might be the driver that we relate to, or we've followed for the longest time, or they're from our, our home city or whatever it might be. And that driver can do no wrong in your eyes. Yeah. That driver is, you know, can't, it doesn't have any faults in, in, in a sense, you know, uh, to, to the, mm. to the fans. And that can get tricky when, we we are on the same page, the drivers and us, let's say, but then something different gets gets um, 
fed back to them from the, from the internet, from their fans, you know? So that can get tricky, but it's just something that is part of the, part of the job, you know, and trying to not take it personally. The drivers have said in recent years that I'm not as friendly, that I don't hang out as much and that I, I'm, I don't know if standoffish is the right word, but I'm a little more like distant. Distant is a good word, I guess. And that is by design. I have to be that way. Right. There's a level of communication that you just can't have with an individual team when there are 31 other teams or let's say 39 other teams, depending on the season, that are also wanting time with you to discuss their viewpoint, their vision of how things should go. And you can't give in to any of that at all because if you're spending more time with one, two, or three teams, what is that showing to the other drivers and teams out there? And my when I first started this job in 2011, I, I was a I was an FD super fan. I up until that year, I was paying money out of my own pocket to go to FD events. Attention all FD fans. If you are heading to an event this year, I've got an easy way for you to save yourself five bucks. So when you go to pick up tickets for any of the eight events, that's any of them, Long Beach, you know, Seattle, Atlanta, whatever it is that you want to go to, at checkout, use the code FD Podcast. It'll save you five bucks doing this for the 20th season. So head over, use the coupon code, save yourself some money, and I will I'll see you out there. Maybe you'll see me walking around. I don't know. If you do, say hi. Tell me, hey, I saved five bucks. If you want to give me that five bucks, I'm okay with that too. You know, I had been to Seattle. I had been to Long Beach. I had been to Road Atlanta. Uh, by, you know, just because I wanted to go see FD live and in person. I loved drifting. And that's sort of how it was in 2011 when I came in. I didn't have any favorites. That's never really been a thing of mine. Like, I liked certain cars, mm-hmm. let's say. Like, I loved Tanner Faust's uh, TC, the V8 one. That car for me oh, was so the way cool. it moved, the way it, it sounded. sounded. You know, that V8, oh, it was amazing. But it's not like I was a, a Tanner Faust fanboy. It was a car that that got me interested. The Saturn Sky that Darren McNamara used to drive, like that I thought was really, yeah. really cool too. Um, but when I, when I transitioned into being a judge, I would go walk around the paddock all the time. I was taking pictures and talking to people. And it took a couple of years, but I finally realized... I was wasting so much time standing there talking to drivers who were trying to say, well, I think you should do things this way. And I think you should change things to this and, and asking questions in the early days, we didn't have the rule where drivers couldn't ask us questions outside of the driver briefing. So there I was all of my time away from judging was spent in the paddock talking to drivers. And just, I thought, I thought it was really, really cool to do that. You know, these guys were doing something that I wished I could have done but I never had the skill, money, or time to get to that point in my career. So there I was judging instead. And that I had to cut that off over the years, I realized. And then we brought in the, the rule of no asking questions outside of the driver briefing. And that mm-hmm. turned off a lot of drivers and teams at the time. They were sort of offended by it. They were like, well, what's the, you know, why, why can't I talk to you? And everybody understands now it's for fairness, right? Any question that gets answered has to be done so in front of the entirety of the of the field in the driver briefing so it's fair for everybody some teams were much more vocal early on when i first got into the sport and friendly they would just like they would just walk up and start talking to you and hey what's going on other teams drivers were a little more quiet 
they weren't as outgoing and they wouldn't just come up to me and talk to me. So they wouldn't get the input. They wouldn't get the answers. They wouldn't get the feedback. So we had to sort of try to fix that. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that definitely has to suck because it's kind of, I mean, you're more or less having to remove a friend base as well. And it's like, Hey, it's not, it's not personal. It's literally business. Like, I think that's, I think that's always, and maybe that's what I've tried to hit home a little too hard on this is like, this is, this is work for people. Like this is a job. Mm-hmm. This is a clock in, that's a clock out. Like that, that's the part that I think a lot of people forget that like as much as everybody is a super fan. And I know you're a super fan of drifting in general, because you and I have had long conversations about technical and small details of drifting that nobody else would even care about. But for some reason we got caught on it. And it's like, you, you just, take a step back for a moment and realize the bigger picture of what's going on. That like, this is the arguably the highest level of drifting in the world. Um, and I know that's going to ignite a fire somewhere. Uh, but, and, and these are, are people who are paid because they're good at what they do. They're professionals. And, and that is why they're there, whether that is from, you know, a live stream segment side of things to the management, to the people working in finance for, for FD or people, you know, doing social media or judging or whatever, like, they're here for a reason. And it's like, you need to understand that as well. When you're, when you're having these, these opinions, they're, they're chosen for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. It's always tough for me. Um, whenever I see it, especially even, you know, the, the negativity with drivers as well. But I mean, it's, it's also on the, on the flip side of it, it's like a lot of this, you kind of have to understand this is what you're getting into. Not that it's warranted, yeah. not that it's right, but like, you you understand you're going to wade into the fire. There's going to be times you get burned, and that is part of what is is you know this sport or sport high level sport in general. Like not everyone's going to be happy with you. Not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to cheer for you. So you need to deal with that before you you ever show up to the to the game. So, anyways, yeah. I I don't want to go like super negative on this. I have a couple of like fun technical questions um, that I want to get into. So. Um, what what is something what is something that FD could do right now that would make your job like a hundred percent easier? Like what do you what do you think? And I know you've had discussions mm-hmm. about it. I know there have been proposed ideas, but is there something that's either that you can talk about? Because I know there's stuff we can't talk about, um, mm-hmm. in that especially in that regard, but like is there something that could make your life easier? It, like, you know, infinite cameras, onboards, you know, reading drivers' minds, seeing every piece of can data that comes out of a car. Is there is there anything that you feel like you wish you had that that could fix problems, I guess? Reading people's minds, that would be the perfect one right there. You said it. Yeah. Okay. But I think the next well, a lot well, a lot of times, sometimes we are tasked with looking at something that happened on the track and figuring out what a driver's intention was. Oh, I'm glad you're going there. What's that? I said, I'm glad we're going here. Go on. (laughs) So trying to figure out what a driver's intention was is very difficult. And looking at the data that we have now, which is pretty minimal, right? We have cameras on the outside of the car, just shooting towards a car. You can't see people's hands. You can't see people's feet. You're not really sure... Sometimes watching what somebody's doing behind the wheel is enough to give you an insight into what their intention was mm-hmm. or not even intention, but just what their action was inside the car that led to what happened outside the car. I like that better. Right. I like that better. Yeah. So, well, saying that 
I'm, I want to know what people's intentions were implies that people had bad intentions. Someone went into a situation with or, malice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a flop. Or flopping. Or, yeah, there right. it is. <laughs> yeah. So, well, there's that and there's also not only flopping, but there's also the malicious lead driver things that can happen that chase drivers yeah. allude to that, oh, man, people will make some accusations or make statements about a situation and they don't have the data to back it up, but they are a hundred percent sure that that's what happens. And you know, the fans, I get it. It's, it's one of those sports where you get really worked up about what's happening and oh, yeah. you're going to make those assumptions, but I can't, I can't do that in my position. I can't. So I think something that has helped, in the past that we've had in hindsight, let's say after the event is done, somebody has given us a memory card from a GoPro that was mounted inside the car. Yeah. And the amount of insight that I can glean from that sometimes, not every time, but a lot of the times is in hindsight, again, so, so valuable, you know, you think, Oh, that's like, you can see the hands on the steering wheel or the wheel gets yanked out of the hands or there was a handbrake pull or yeah. there was a gear shift that, you know, it didn't go in. You could see the driver multiple times trying to get the shift done or somebody said something in the car after something happened on the track while the camera's still rolling and they don't, I guess they forget the camera's there and that camera picks up what they say afterwards that maybe gets them in trouble mm-hmm. in hindsight saying a lot of things in hindsight here. So <laughs> if I could get, yeah, <laughs> hypothetically. Now, if I could get an in-car camera that gets to me live for every run, yeah. for each driver, for every battle, that would be amazing. Because you can, you can get so much information from what, like the body language of a driver, like what's going on at the hands on the steering wheel. Are they yeah. relaxed? Is everything smooth? Or are they, you know, the swatting bees thing where it's hand over hand everywhere and they're trying to get the wheel back, a downshift, an upshift, a mist shift, uh, all those different things that can really give you insight into what's happening. The other thing is if you can see the lead driver ahead and the chase car is here, now you're looking through maybe over the the, the driver's shoulder, so, so to speak, in the car, and you can see that lead driver, you can see the car do something really crazy, and then you see the chase driver just trying to avoid, and it's all this information that gives us many more tools to make the right call. And I think that okay. an inside an in-car camera for everybody would be, would be ideal. Yeah. I, I mean, I wanted to get to the flopping thing. Cause I mean, that's such a huge <laughs> topic. This, you know, going into this year is, is like, how do we remedy this? How do we look at this? I mean, I don't want this to become like a soccer issue or football or not like American football yeah. where like that has almost become a part of the game. Um, and this is coming from a Canadian who watches a lot of hockey. So I'm sorry, uh, which is also the most Canadian thing I've said today. Um, but I don't want it to become a thing where where anybody somebody gets tapped and they go, "Oh, it's fine. I'll get the win." Right? And I and I've seen people accuse drivers of that, and I'm being non-specific on purpose because it's happened, and it's happened times where people didn't even realize it's happened, but where something that happens in another part of the car or a contact that shouldn't make any sense disrupts the car enough to shoot the wheel out of their hands. Like people don't realize 
how gripped up these cars are or what the alignment is like on the front end of some of these cars where that even a disruption in the rear end can cause an issue in the front end where it lifts and then, you know, if it lifts the back end a bit, it shoots the back end out a little bit and that then compresses the front. Now you've got this toe out situation, changes your Ackerman mid-angle and now the car spins off. So I agree. I think understanding whether we want to say intentions or intent or or whatever, but either way, the actions of what the car is doing and what the human is doing, whether the human is doing it first or second, and and how that relates to what the actual situation was in the car, yeah. right? Like that that is definitely a massive missing piece. And I know in previous years we've been able to see, especially in daylight events, into the car to see what happens on the steering wheel. That's been called out on live streams. I. I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head. I believe it happened once at Road Atlanta. I, I, for some reason, I remember this, where it was realized, oh no, like you can see the driver doing something and then it caused this action. And then I was like, well, no, we can pretty definitively tell this is what you did. And then vice versa, where we've seen it, we're like, oh, this looks really intentional. And then in hindsight, something comes up and you go, no, you can see like the steering wheel came completely out of my hands. There's nothing I could have done. So is there like... Is this like is this a discussion? Is the flopping thing like something that's come up where you guys are like, how do we combat this? Like, what do we do? Like, where is that? I guess in the grand scheme of FD, it's not something that we've discussed specifically. It comes up. Does it come up in an event? I don't think. I want to say that I don't think the flopping thing happens as often as the most vocal fans say it does. Right. I don't, I truly don't. I'm sure it's happened over the years. I guarantee that it's happened over the years. Yes. But I yeah. don't think it's as common as everybody thinks. You pointed out in pretty good detail how a hit mid angle on throttle can disrupt a car enough to spin it. Sure. Maybe your street stock, you know, S13 or something, if it gets tapped mid drift, it doesn't get disrupted. You know, it might add a little bit of angle, but you just kind of adjust and drive through it. It sends you offline a little and you can keep going. But I think personally, the one thing I've learned the most in the last, say, five years of FD is that I just don't know what these thousand horsepower rocket ships are like to drive. I have been reminded about that (laughs) so many times by the drivers over the years. And I don't think it's in a bad way. You know, it's not like they're rubbing it in my face, so to speak. It's that they truly want us to understand how difficult these cars are. Now, I've been in the cars with them, but you can't tell from the passenger seat exactly what they're doing, you know, or how that car feels for the driver. I worked recently with um, the Czech not Czech, Croatian, uh, one, a guy that competed in Croatia. And okay. he ended up, he doesn't compete anymore, but he did help some other teams develop their cars in Europe. And these are 900,000 horsepower cars. And they said, um, you, should, you should drive the car. And he said, I don't want to drive your car. And they said, well, you can't help us set it up until you drive it because these cars are so incredibly difficult to drive that you need to understand that before you can help with anything else. So he went out and he drove the car and he said exactly what the drivers, and he just told me this a few days ago. 
He told me exactly what the drivers have been telling me in FD. If you're not on throttle and you're not, or you're not on the handbrake, these cars straighten immediately, instantly. Mm-hmm. So if you get tapped by the car behind you and you have to lift off the throttle because you're going to go careening off the track due to the hit, that's going to straighten the car up right away. So now you're trying to balance being on throttle while going offline, maybe up the bank, or like you said, the car's you know weight transfers. So many different things can affect those cars in ways that I can't understand from an experience standpoint. You know, the five, five, six hundred horsepower is probably the most I've driven from a drift car anyway. And not set up the way the cars are set up today to achieve the level of grip, speed, and yeah. control that they have today. And it's it's difficult in the briefing when we say this is what we want you to do on the track and one person will put up their hand and say my car won't do that and i'm not there to be specific for one driver you know i don't want to say well this one driver can't do it so that means i'm not going to make the entire field do it that is not how we have to approach things so my answer to them has to be well you're going to have to figure out how to make your car do that then because that's what this track requires based on the judging criteria that we put together. You know, even if it's two or three drivers that say their cars won't do that, well, change the setup, make it, make it work for Mm. what we're, we're doing here today. You know, I can ask 92% of the drivers, let's say, and they'll all say, Oh yeah, my car will do that. That's fine. So we have to try to work within, I guess the, the over the majority, the majority isn't even enough. Like we're, we're, we're talking like, 90% are able to do everything that we ask out there on the track. And if that small percentage of drivers can't, can't do it because their car isn't set up that way, well, that's on them and not us. You know, that's just how we have to operate, I guess, uh, within the the confines of the series. Where, where do you see this going? Like we've, we've got these cars that are like, if you haven't been to FD in person, you haven't had a chance to look at the alignments, like the setup, like, I mean, one thing that I'd heard people say, and I, I think this is just limited by tire sponsorship, to be honest with you, is we're going to get to a point where it's one tire per run, and we're going to have you know single lug hubs, and they'll come in, and there'll be a window, and you swap tires, and you go back out. Like, Do you think oh. if funding got there, like if, if enough tire companies came and said, yeah, we're, we'll do it, that we'll get to that point, and we'll modify the rules? No. Or like, no, we're going to no. stick with two runs, and that's our... That's our limiting factor. Absolutely. The, we're not looking for that level of grip from these cars. That doesn't lead to good tandem at all. Right. It's, uh, it's already a challenge to get the field on an even playing field when it comes to traction out there on the track. Um, straight line, you know, speed, ability, um, kind of like that digging out of the hole, let's say, right? The amount of grip that that tire can produce. We don't want, you know, one of the things that came up on the call from Europe the other day is that they're having a real problem with tire brands that are making one-off special tires for drifting that are yeah so incredibly grippy. And the the compounds in these tires, it's it's like some exotic material that can withstand the heat and just give this level of grip and the 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 size of the tire doesn't match up with what's written on the sidewall and 
the tread wear rating doesn't match up either. Like none of this stuff is regulated. You can write whatever you want on yeah. the sidewall of a tire. I, so I experienced one in Europe and it's, it is in like back to back. Yeah. It was back to back with a tire that was not, that was within regulation, let's say. Right. And then this other brand and same car, same day, same driver. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, this is, this isn't even, this isn't even close to the same. No, like this not is even close. so much more intense, like so much scarier. Yep. So, yeah. We've run into yeah. it in FD Japan. Uh, Kevin would be over there with his durometer, with the tire measuring tool, with all of these different things. And it doesn't take any of that really to see it. Of course, you want the durometer to get accurate readings, yeah. but you could walk up to a tire that, let's say we have an FD US, and kind of like try to put your thumb in, in the actual bl- tread block, the rubber. Yeah. And it's, you know, a little soft. It's pretty firm though. And then you go mm-hmm. to one of these specialty exotic like rocket ship tires and you can put your thumb into the rubber like you can press yeah you right can put in. your thumbnail it and you can yeah. dig your thumbnail into the tread and it's like oh it's 200 tread wear i'm like okay right. and okay. then you, you take your thumb like nail and, and thumb off of it and it's still there right. like it takes a like, while yeah. for it to actually reform to a tread block again and yeah. it's it's eye-opening it's crazy so they're having a problem in europe and that's one of the things that they were asking me about. And I said, you guys have to start regulating the tires. And they say, well, on, you know, the tread, the sidewall. I said, I know you guys all know this. I don't know why you're asking me this, but you need to start doing your own independent testing. This is yeah. the FIA. They can afford to, the, the tools, I, the equipment, I know. the time. Know. You can do all of these things. And they say, yeah, okay, I guess we're going to have to start doing that. And it's something that we've been doing in the U.S. for years, a long time. I don't know how long, but... I know it's a long time. Kevin could give you a better idea of all of that stuff. I'm sort of veering into the technical side of things. Which it's all good. It's all is good. not my specialty, but um, <laughs> so that's one thing that I don't think we will ever stray from because okay. we want tandem battles to be close. We want tandem battles to be fun and exciting. And, you know, I want every driver to have the ability to put together an incredible chase run. That is my whole goal with designing the rules and hopefully having a tiny word in, in, in the technical side of things. I just think it's so important because if we lose tandem battles, if we lose the closeness, the proximity, well, it's, it's, it's nothing. It's two independent runs and it's, you got to zoom way out on the camera and what are you seeing? You're not seeing anything fun yeah. or exciting. You know, I've, I've watched some series in the world. I won't say who that, that, gap is there for every run and you think like this this isn't exciting this is it just kills the sport so of course we don't have everybody running around on authentic 500 treadwear tires that is not the answer either there has to be a level of traction to keep the cars on the track at speed to make it exciting and fun but we have to find that middle ground right now we're doing the tire width to uh, car weight ratio that has to be within and then of course the tires have to be dot and within a certain spec. So that is sort of keeping things on track, let's say right now. But I think that some tire manufacturers have more budget than others. They have more resources and they have more ability to build these one-off special tires. So we do have to still keep an eye on them and make sure that what they're putting out there for their drivers is legit for the series. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, and I know like we're definitely getting into the technical side of things, but uh, I mm-hmm. mean, I think it's still important because it is. It 
it shows even within judging and qualifying, like you see drivers do certain things, you understand what tire they're on, and then you see their performance, you go, oh, this makes sense, right? And and I mean, my hope is that this, I mean, we're, we're kind of in a weird spot with tires again. Um, we had a couple of really good years, which before that we had a tough spot with tires, and then we had a couple of good years. Like, it's this ebb and flow that's constant. Uh, and, and I don't think it's going to change ever. I mean, as much as I would love to say, you know, there's going to be a year where every team has got a different tire brand. I mean, I think there was years and years ago where it got kind of close to that, where there was a lot of brands in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm hoping is that drifting as a sport becomes so big that, like, the dedicated drift tire is an incentive for a company to develop that and then test it there because they understand that even though we're we're basically literally burning 25, 30 tires per driver per weekend, it still constitutes enough to sell to everybody else. And, that, mm-hmm. and brands have tried it and, and it's worked for some success. It's just like, for me, I love the tire wars. I love seeing these different brands. I like seeing things develop. I remember when like Nitto came in with those crazy sidewalls and we saw the RTRs on it. And like you saw, you know, Dean coming over with the Falcons and just doing ridiculous stuff on it. And then like, I mean, the Achilles one, two, threes. I mean, arguably my favorite tire era because those things were ridiculous. Um, But like, that's the kind of stuff that um, gets me excited. And I I hope that it it breeds more innovation in those companies and in those industries to just give us more. Like just, that's what I want. Like play within the rules, like play within the rules. Don't do anything ridiculous, but give us something that is built for the rules that fits all the confines and still a 200 treadwear, but you've developed something in the same way that like, like I said, Nitto built a sidewall that was almost meant to roll underneath the tire and mm-hmm. still be full traction. Like th- that was, if, if, when those came out, as soon as I saw it and I saw the way that those, the tread came up and around the sidewall and like kind of belled out, I went, oh, I know what this is for. This is meant for like <laughs> six PSI. Like yeah. they, 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 somebody, there was an engineer who looked at it and went, oh, I can fix this problem. And then, you know, now we're, we're more or less waiting on an answer for that. But anyways, I'm, I went off on like a whole tangent. <laughs> yeah, no, but the, the thing with the tires is it's just like every other choice you make with your program. Yeah. A tire can have some benefits. Another tire can have different benefits. The downsides to both of those tires can be very different as well. But that goes for your car that you choose to compete in, whether it's right. sponsored or whether you've purchased it and decided that that's the one you want to build and have for your your competitive unit or your suspension. You know, the coilovers that you choose to compete on, is that a sponsor or is that something you've paid out of pocket for? Um, right. Every part of your car is a give and take. Every part of your team, really. Now... Mm-hmm. Some drivers will say, I prefer this brand of tire, this model of tire over that one. They can be competing on tire A and say, oh, I tried tire B and that thing's incredible. But it doesn't mean that their car, you know, might have an advantage, right? The chassis that they chose or the chassis that they received due to a sponsorship or whatever it may be um, might play better with a different tire or they don't have the choice in certain aspects and they are kind of stuck with some things, but they can choose other things that'll make their, their chances better. So you go to formula one, everybody has the same tire brand, but they can choose the hard, the soft, the intermediate, you know, 
So everybody has their choice within whatever kind of sphere they're playing in. With FD and drifting, it would be cool to have a single tire and it may come to that eventually. I don't know. You know, if drifting becomes big enough, there may be a tire brand that could come in and say, we're going to have a soft, a hard, and an intermediate for drifting too, right? With one brand. Like that could be cool. It could be like, oh, I'm going to go with the soft. I barely can make two laps at the end of, you know, the second lap. I don't have any any traction left, but man, my first lap is killer. You know, that might be a a way that somebody says, I'm going to build my my advantage. I'm going to just put down the best lead run and... When I go into the chase, because I'm on the soft, I'm not going to have as much grip, but hopefully my lead will be good enough, you know? Um, or yeah. I'll choose the the hard tire. I'm not going to have as much grip, but I'm going to be consistent from the beginning of lap one to the end of lap two. So, you know, I don't, I'm just spitballing here. That would be amazing if we got to that point because it would take off a lot of, imagine a lot of stress off of the drivers trying to find a sponsor. If you look at yeah. what happened this off season, you know, was probably stressful for some drivers and we don't really know what's going to happen <laughs> with some of them, but we'll see. But you know, it's, it's part of, it's part of this ecosystem that we're playing in. This is just what we're dealing with. If you talk to people in road racing, they're going to say, I don't understand the the struggle that the drifters have because I don't have to have that jump from brand to brand each season. You know, my mm-hmm. series that I run in is it's a homologated tire. That's everybody runs on the same one. So you know, we all have different challenges. This is a very specific one to drifting, but it's one that everybody in drifting knows about. They understand the challenges and they, they just have to roll with the punches and figure it out. Yeah, it's, it's, I, like, I like that you put it in regards to like, this is just a small piece of the puzzle. We do focus a lot on it, yeah. but it's, it is definitely one part of the whole, I mean, your team, I think that's like the most uh, I guess like glossed over part of drifting. Like people forget mm-hmm. about that. That's always been my um, my debate back and forth with something like uh, a shootout versus a full series is like, does a shootout provide your team with enough input to understand what it's like to operate consistently on multiple rounds? And yeah. and the the argument I always hear back is like that. It, I mean, is like that is a point, but also understand that there are certain people who the shootout's all they've got. Like, that's it. That's their shot. Yeah. Like th- that's, that is their one opportunity. I mean, you know, to, to, to do it. And, you know, they, the hope is that they win the shootout, they get the sponsors. Now they can afford to do prospect in this case. So, yeah. Um, but I think that that's something, I don't even know if you and I want to wade into that, but that the whole shootout versus rounds thing. Um, I'm sure that's going to come up later. And I'm, that's I'm a good sure one to talk to Brian some. about because he deals with that yes. firsthand a lot. Yes, I agree. Um, So being somebody as a global fan of drifting, is there a series or a driver or something that's going on that that the U.S. fan base may not know about that they should? Whether that's somebody you're like, hey, you know, um, Mm. a great example of this is like Nick Knack out of Norway. He's a guy that's like super famous there. A lot of U.S. you know people haven't seen him. And like I started seeing footage of this guy. I'm like, oh, wow. Like you guys, like... when this happens, like people are going to have to watch out. Is there, is there anything like that for you or? Well, he's one, um, you yeah. know, I started watching him when I was going over there six, what, six, seven years ago, something like that now. And he was yeah. just a kid. Like he was a tiny kid, but he's driving his dad's BMW on the track and he wasn't as good then, but you're like, wow, he's just going to leg up because he's starting so young. Um, I think uh, Hiroya Minoa. Sure. Shinji's son, Shinji Minoa. Okay. 
Yeah. You know, Shinji uh, and Masayo Minoa, they both compete in Formula Drift Japan. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm not on social media anymore, but people have showed me some videos of him at Daigo's new facility. Mm-hmm. Where So I've, I've watched Hiroya drive in Japan. He's, for his age, incredible. I think he's incredible even above his age group. And he's, uh, I think he competed in FD Japan last year, last season. But he's been at Daigo's, uh, Daigo's little compound that he has now. And they both have, I don't know if they both have, or if it's just Miatas that Daigo has laying around in his property. Um, they're relatively new. I think they might even be the latest gen Miatas that yeah. it looks like they were kind of smashed before Daigo got them and then lets people <laughs> come and drive them. And Hiroya's at that age right now where he just wants to do no, I, I'm sure you know, you remember when you're at a certain age, you had no responsibilities. Yeah. You didn't have a job. You didn't have like dishes to wash and home repairs to and, do and things like, like everyday things that we as adults have. And he just and wants a lack to drive of fear, and drive is, and drive. Yeah. A lack of yeah. fear. But watching him practice with Daigo, they just do a figure eight and they're just swapping chase position to lead position transitions, getting the nose of the car in as quickly as possible after the transition. And the video of videos I saw, it's just figure eight, figure eight, figure eight, figure eight, figure eight, back and forth, back and forth. And these cars are on red line the entire time. I don't think they ever wow. lift their foot off the, 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 the floorboard. And they're just transition, transition, transition. That kid is going to be so prepared for high level competition I, like I'm, I'm scared for everybody else just watching this kid, the level that he's at already and the practice that he's getting with the drivers that he's practicing with. Um, so he's one driver that I think uh, people should should know about. Hiroya Minoa, I think is his, I think Hiroya is his name. Hiro for short, I guess. Okay. So he's one. Um, I've judged a lot in Brazil. Um, there's the, the kid down there, uh, Diego Higa. He's yeah. won, I don't know, five times the championship in Brazil. And some people argue, well, the, the, the level of competition is not as high down there, but the drivers that he's competing against at the top end of that championship are pretty good. You know, one of them went to Chelsea Denofa school multiple times, um, very high level from a lot of these different drivers. Um, but, you know, his consistency level is very, very high. Just putting the car in the same place over and over and over again, making yeah. no mistakes, being consistent. So that's a couple that I know of, but it's pretty tough since I haven't been traveling over the last few years because of COVID and now my immigration thing um, to not see a lot of these drivers firsthand like I used to. But those are two that I know because I have judged uh, remotely since then, of course, you know, watching drivers right. um, still. So those are two that I know of that are, are pretty high level. And uh, who knows? They're going to make their way to FD. I hope so. I mean, that's that's always my my biggest thing is like I I very much enjoy seeing global drivers come over. Um, mm-hmm. I liked you know the James Dean era, which was crazy because it was this like everybody going, oh, he can't do this, he can't do that. Like he's never run a bank, he can't run this type of circuit. It's Long Beach, it's too tight. Like and then just comes in and just decimates all and and mm-hmm. like with no apologies for three years straight. Um, and I want that to happen again. Like that's. That has been the definitive, like if you were to show FD on a timeline, you have these markers and they often yeah. correlate with somebody coming over, whether it's Daigo Saito or James Dean and, and obviously going much further back to where my knowledge base isn't as strong, um, but it's always happened. 
where uh, somebody has come in and disrupted and changed everything. Like a great example of this is judging changed from year one of James Dean to year two of James Dean because James essentially read the rule book, understood how you guys were judging and went, oh, you want proximity? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slim my angle down, but I'm going to tear the paint off of that front door for the entire run. And I'm yeah. going to be at, you know, 15 degrees less angle, but that tire is going to be rubbing on that door for the entire run. And that's what he did. And in response, because I, I think it was probably two or three rounds in, you guys went, okay, wait a minute. Like he's found a bit of a loophole in what we're mm-hmm. doing here. And then year two, it became, okay, like, no, it's, it's, you have to have proximity, but you have to mirror angle in line. And then James just went, oh, yeah. okay, that's fine. Let me just do this. And then it did it anyways. Yeah, is that, it definitely, is, well, is that true? I, like, is that the mindset you guys had or? Well, yeah, it's, you know, you're judging with what you know, you're judging with what you're comfortable with, what you've seen, what you've experienced over maybe the previous two seasons, two, three seasons. And the level yeah. of expectation is based on what you've been looking at and what you've seen over those years. When Daigo came in and he was so aggressive and so close, but was surging a lot, right? So he was he was diving in and he back off and he dive in and he back off and he was a little bit further ahead than the lead car, and but he was really close. He was putting that yeah. pressure on and he was right there. Um, that you know what when I can't remember maybe it was Wall Speedway where he didn't win. And he didn't understand why. And and he was like, him and his crew were a little mad, I think. And they, I don't know if cornered is the right word, but they got Andy Yen and they sort of trapped him and talked to him. They had him in in their, in their area and they were there for like an hour or more. And we couldn't find Andy. And we're like, where did Andy go? What happened to him? So we finally found him him and his crew like (laughs) circled around Andy and um, Andy's trying to explain like, yes, you're close, but, you're you're cheating too much. You're making too many compromises, and it took a while to get that across. But I think there was a, a surprise on both ends because he thought he was fulfilling the chase driver goals as much as he should have been, okay. and we thought that he was not right. Right. But we also thought now this is a level of aggressiveness and just sheer determination and amazing skill that we haven't seen yet in FD. You know, we've seen very high levels of skill, but not on this aggressive level at the same time, right? So we had to adjust, but we also had to adjust his expectations at the same time and tell him what it is that we were looking for more accurately. So we had to completely modify what we were doing while trying to help him not continue doing what he was doing so that he wouldn't keep like failing while doing an, what on the surface looked like an amazing job, but right. Yeah. So there was like a learning on both sides there. And then, like you said, James Dean. So those are the disruptors that came in. Those are the two biggest disruptors we've seen in the last, what, 10, 10 years. Probably 10, so yeah, 10 years. We're sort of due for another disruptor to come in soon. Right. Cause when did James Dean, was it 2019 uh, or 2018? Probably just before so COVID. Yeah, yeah, it was just he was. I think he was supposed to come back um, around that time. So yeah, 2019. Right. I know there's so, someone yelling like, "You guys should know this," and it's like, "Look, look, I'm trying, okay." <laughs> yeah, remembering these days. I'm pretty sure it was 2019, but whatever it was, Daigo was 2014, yeah. I think. Dean was 20, 2019 when he left, but he came in in 18, uh, 17, right? 17 to 19 yeah, for, was probably his three yeah. years. <clears throat> so it's like 14, 17, 
Now we're up to 2023. We're a little pushed back because of COVID. So maybe we're due yeah. for another disruptor to come in. Um, we've got some amazing talent in the series already. And who knows, maybe we're at a level now where nobody can come in and actually disrupt. Maybe the level of competition is too high, the level of grip, the level of car build. What more could there possibly be above what we're doing? Although we've probably said that in the past, like things are amazing yeah. right now. How much better can it possibly get? And then somebody comes in and we go, oh, okay, that's, I would, that's pretty crazy. I would very much, and this is like a personal thing, I'd very much like to see somebody figure out a way that they can put in like a ridiculous amount of angle into the car. Like I know Forrest is coming back and I'm very excited about that, but there's always been kind of a back and forth between his style and what's expected. <clears throat> but I'm, I'm curious if, if maybe Forrest comes back and goes, look it, I know I can whip some crazy angle into this and I'm going to do some fun, whether it's mechanical or alignment things to be able to throw the angle in that I want as my own personal driving style. But for then the car to be able to grip and flip back the other way without me losing the speed. Like, I feel like that yeah. is maybe, because we've seen the straight line, <clears throat> we've seen where that went, right? We saw Daigo, crazy amounts of grips. We've even seen it with like Christophe's Blush, where like he dialed in enormous amounts of grip, built an insane car that was crazy light, like did everything right. Only had the one win in Atlanta, um, but was like one of the scariest guys to drive against. Anybody I ever talked to is like, Every time I have to run this guy, I'm just afraid he's going to walk me. And then if not, and then when he's in the chase, he's just going to drive through me. So yeah. we've seen the straight line speed kind of more or less get capped. We've seen the proximity more or less get capped. To me, the only thing that's left is either perfect technical ability of filling zones or angle. Like those are the two areas that realistically we have a huge area for improvement. Even though filling zones, I mean, if you watch top eight, like you guys have to nitpick so hard to, yeah. to like figure out where somebody is three inches, four inches off the line. So for me, I hope, you know, a suspension or an alignment or some sort of company is able to once again, read the rule books, understand what the technical regulations are for what we can and can't do when it comes to either adjustment or reactive suspension in some way and go, hey, I can throw 90 degrees of angle coming through the transition at Irwindale, but still be able to catch the car with as much speed and then take off. Like, that's my guess. And I think it'd be really cool for that to happen where you guys are sitting there going like, you know, uh, Chelsea in St. Louis, right? That, that okay. amazing backy he pulled in the old layout, the first layout in St. Yep. Louis, where it was perfect, but because of that, he scrubbed so much speed, it caused problems with line later yep. on down, down the run. And that was the determining factor there. But if somebody could overcome that and be able to throw mm -hmm. that much angle, and then that now means that like we've proven you can do it and not screw up the rest of your line, that now changes everything again. So that's my guess. That's yeah. my hope. That's an interesting perspective. That um, you know, the, the whole back entry thing is is tricky because of the amount of slowdown that happens with all of that. But if somebody could figure out how to keep the momentum flowing through something like that, if physically it's possible. You know, the, the thing that we always kind of throwing back to what I was talking about earlier, the three judges up there kind of talking amongst one yeah. another about, oh, he had a real opportunity there, but he dropped the ball. You know, like we get frustrated for them so many times where we're like almost pulling our hair out up there. You had this, you won, you almost won it in run one. Run two, yeah. you threw it away. What are you thinking? What are you doing? So... 
a, a lot of what consistency is very important, obviously. And I think that it's the driver that's going to have that consistency in so many different scenarios and so many different situations that is going to, is going to gain for themselves this sort of opportunity that, that other drivers maybe have, have squandered, if squandered is the right word, because of how great they were doing. Maybe it doesn't matter on run one. If they were leading or chasing first, it doesn't matter. It's how well they did in that first run and then get to run two, lose perspective on the whole situation, not have a good spotter telling them what they need to focus on. Just overdriving the car or underdriving the car, potentially, whatever yeah. it is. It's that key to the moment when the pressure's on and you have to make some type of intuitive call in the car at the time. It's the driver that's able to make that good intuitive call in under pressure in the moment over and over and over again that's going to start to really pull away in the championship. In, like, I, like, how many times have you seen a driver do amazing and then the next run it's like, oh, what? Like, you just... How many, like, it's, I don't even countless. Yeah, I don't even have to like. Yeah, I don't even have to like name drivers. We all know. I mean, it's it's happened with everybody. I mean, yeah. it's. I I mean, I, I guess and it's it career like, defining yeah. moments. It's like you just yeah. lost the championship right there. And okay, it's human. Matt Fields or Wendell, right? Yeah, I, I I will say specifics. You don't have to. <laughs> um, Matt, but Matt Field Irwindale, Ryan Turk made all, like half of his career that way. Where like you're like this is it. Like you've got it. And mm -hmm. then something would happen. And you're like, Ryan, like, yeah. oh my God, you were right there. Um, you know, Odie Bakshi's had a rough last year coming off of one of his best years ever. And you're like, what? And it was all these small mistakes and these small moments that, that caused it. I mean, Chelsea Denofa yep. has been, is the greatest example of that, where it's like, and he's even said it himself. He's like, I have to stop driving at 110. I have to drive at like 95 and then I'll be fine. Yeah. And like, there's something about, him and it, like his core being that he can't do it. And when he does, you're like, oh, you did it. Like, that's it. Like, that's all you needed. And then yeah. like Chelsea, the, the showman and like the, the crazy aggressive, like enthusiastic Chelsea comes out and you're like, oh, like the crowd's so excited, but you didn't do the thing we asked you to do. Like, ah, I, anyways, as a fan, like, uh, and, I and that's, that's the part with this podcast. I'm trying to balance of like, the fan in me has so many of these moments. And then the podcaster in me is like, oh, do we, how much do we get into here? But either way, the fan won out on that one. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's, it's, we, like I said, we, of course, are fans of the sport. And we, yeah, we just like, again, I don't care who wins, but when a driver has it on the line, you know, <sighs> the when the driver has it, when they just have it, you know, yeah. and they do something that just, Ah, you just feel like you you just threw it away for some yeah. silly little mistake. But that's, I think, an opportunity, an area of opportunity for somebody to come in and be just better under pressure like that. Um, on more repeated instances, maybe that'll give them more of an opportunity. That's my perspective coming from the judging seat because it's something that we deal with so often and that we just sit up there and shake our heads like, whoo, that is so, and it, this isn't anything against the drivers. We're all human. And when we're under pressure, under stress like that, it's very difficult to perform at that level. But those are the, 
the people in every every sport, whether it's a human, uh, you know, uh, mechanical sport, you know, whatever you're doing with your body, whether it be swimming yeah. or acrobatics or whatever, or if you're in a car, it's like the ones, the people that can perform under that level of pressure that are consistently able to overcome that. You can have every other piece of the puzzle in place, but if you can't get that one piece, you might never be a champion. You know, you might always just choke in those situations where the pressure's on. So it's just that moment of greatness that some people have that, that, that level of comfort and ability to overcome it. So that's my thought. Oh, okay. As much as I don't want to wrap this up, I, that's like the ultimate, that was, it was such a, a good way of putting it. Like and all of these drivers are so close to greatness. I mean, mm -hmm. from, from the rookies to, you know, the, the basically day one pros, like we've all seen it. And I think that's what makes FD such like a, a fantastic sport is because we see it and, and, and it's so split second where it's like, it is it yeah. all just, you can watch it dissolve on them. And it's, mm -hmm. it's so frustrating. But then on the other end, you see the other guy who it all came together and, and they did the thing correct and they, they, they won it. And that's what makes, I don't know. That's what, that's what makes like sport and racing in general. So great. But for me, that's what makes FD so great is like, it's, it's 30 seconds for the rest of your life. I mean, it's like that, this is it. It can, yeah. and it's happened. It's come down to like the one run, like four corners. That's it. You, that's it. one other guy, all you have to do is get through it. And it's like, ah, oh, I got goosebumps. I, lo I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, Ryan, thank you. Like, thank you for doing this. I'm super happy we got to, to hang out some more. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk? Anything like you want to cover? Anything last messages for the fans out there? No, I'm just no. here to to be a tool for you to uh, to give people information. If that's uh, something I can do I, to help out, then I will be happy to do it over and over again for you if you'd like. I appreciate. It. I I really hope that all the fans come away with you know a bit more respect for the judges, some more information as to how this actually works and what it's like, and then just you know uh, just just some cool talk. Man, I'm I'm glad we. I, I always love when we get to do this. It's, yeah, I'm sure Ryan will give you some more insight into what's happening. Uh, in in the, I don't even know how to say it without giving it away. But some things are changing yeah. this season, so I want I want him to be changing. able to tell you. Yeah, we're pretty excited yeah. about them. It's going to uh, be pretty good, I think, for everybody. So I'm excited about the, the the season starting. It's already the middle of February almost, and uh, it's coming fast. Yeah. I can't believe how fast it's coming. It's every season we say the same thing. You know, I bet so soon. I bet the drivers so are starting to sweat right now. They're all saying the same thing. They're all saying. Oh, look at the look at the date! It's it's April first or whatever it is is uh, coming up uh, real soon. I will say it's been incredibly difficult to book people because everyone's like, "Hey, I just need to finish this wiring and then we can do it." I'm like, <laughs> right. "How long is that going to take? Like two weeks?" And I'm like, "That's not going to work for me." <laughs> so, cool. Well, thank you again. Um, yeah, for everybody listening, uh, please make sure if you are new to the podcast. Make sure to subscribe, share your favorite clips, take a look for, for everything that the official Formula Drift podcast is doing. Thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys on the next one.